0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Midtown Midweek, where we take the sermon on Sunday and talk about it more. I am here with Pastor John Ludovina. How are we doing, John? We're doing good. It was a uh, it was a tough one, but uh, we're doing good. Glad to have gotten through it. Think we uh, hope we accomplished what God wanted to, and it serves the church family well. So this is a little unusual in that we tend to record our podcast on Thursday, right after the preaching of the sermon. This time around, we're recording this podcast on Monday, so I've already had a handful of conversations with folks in my life group and folks in other life groups who very much appreciated your vulnerability in teaching the text, but then applying it directly to our lives and even giving the gift of going second of here is how this text has been speaking to my soul, and here's how I can cling to God in the midst of all of it. So first of all, Thank you for a great sermon.
1: I appreciate that, man. And, you know, I've had a number of people reach out and uh, express thankfulness, kind of some of those same sentiments of that, that gift of going second really just is a gift of freedom sometimes. Like when, you know, you get to watch somebody else go through something and then it frees you up to feel it, to press into God in the midst of it, to think about it maybe in a different way than you had been. And so, you know, this one's interesting because this sermon and this topic was on the docket. It was on the plan before my dad got sick. Yeah. Which I alluded to this in the sermon. It wasn't a great season before my dad got sick. You know, there there had already been a number of, yeah. So it, it, you know, I alluded to this in the sermon. It had already not been a great season. And I thought I had other examples that were going to be flying to talk about pain and chaos. But then obviously stuff with my dad happened and that. It's the kind of thing that uh, resets the scale. It, everything else downgraded a notch or two in terms of pain. And this is pulling back the, the curtain a little bit, you know, letting people see behind the fourth wall. Our, our pastoral team had some conversations, some spirited exchanges of ideas about whether or not this was a good idea, whether or not it was a good idea for me to preach about something this uh, personal and heavy this quickly after it happened. And honestly, I wasn't, I didn't have a loud voice in the debate because I could see it from either angle, you know? And so I had some people who were out of total concern for me saying, Hey John, you don't have to do this. And we don't think maybe it's the best idea for you to. And I was saying, thank you. I I see where you're coming from. And I get that. Then we had other people kind of going, yeah, but it could be really good for our church family. And if John thinks he's up for it, then maybe we should just roll with it. And I was like, "Yeah." I feel that too, you know. And so was, yeah. uh so I mean, you know, Jake already mentioned it. Part of the reason we didn't record the podcast on Thursday was I was pretty well spent. And if, if for anyone who is here live, I finished praying, paused for a second or two, and then I was like, Cool, I can't really talk right now, so I'm gonna go cry in the back. That's it. You're dismissed. Bye. You know, yeah. it was so awkward. Yeah. But that's it.
0: Yeah. Thank you again for teaching. And I I think uh just with the conversations I've had. It's really blessed a lot of folks. Cool. Uh, what were some things that didn't make the final cut of the sermon?
1: Well, I'll start with something light that isn't a, isn't a didn't make the final cut. So you'll have to edit this and put it somewhere else. But uh, with all of my dad's stuff, I had not read or heard your sermon on politics from a few weeks ago. you politics, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had no idea you had made Hamilton jokes in it. <laughs> so it just sounds like I copied you. Uh, so that's funny to me.
0: Yeah. Uh, in hindsight, we should have just sprinkled Hamilton quotes Through throughout the whole, the whole series. series. It,
1: it's so easy. Stuff that got cut from the sermon. Um, this one was just a little bit for the tone and feel of the sermon. Um, but there is a, a way in which when we are suffering, when we're in pain and chaos, a lot of times we are quick to question or assume or even rail against God saying, you don't see, you don't hear, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't remember, you don't love, you don't care. And with a little more humility, I think it, it's helpful to actually turn that microscope around on ourselves and ask ourselves, well, how, how much do you see God in his goodness and grace? How much do you hear his word and his promises and the truth of who he is? How much do you know nothing you know nothing yeah. we know nothing compared to what he knows of suffering and history and all of it you know and how often do we he never forgets we forget all the time mm-hmm. we we so the things that we blame god of in the midst of suffering actually if you turn that critique back on yourself a lot of times you'll find you are the guilty one he is not but in the midst of suffering that can be really hard to do and so You know, just having friends, having community around who can graciously and patiently remind you, God does see, he does hear, he does know, he does remember, he does love, he does care. Now, I'm going to keep reminding you of that faithfully until you can remember, because sometimes you can't in the moment. And, you know, sometimes it's willful or we haven't set up good habits, you know, to put ourselves under the waterfall of grace to where we would be actively seeing and hearing and knowing these things. Uh, Sometimes. It's just really hard. It's just, you know, when we, um, I think in one of the Psalms, David talks about the waves and the breakers crashing over me and I don't want to make it sound like this stuff's easy. It's not, it's not easy for me right now today. It, the circumstances of pain and suffering can absolutely overwhelm our human frailty. And that's one of the best pieces of knowing no amount of pain and suffering has ever overwhelmed God. Um, Outside of the cross where Jesus took on humanity and was flooded, overwhelmed by the suffering of taking our, our sin and shame onto himself. But outside of that, God has never in history been overwhelmed, been caught off guard, been panicked, been, so that's that, just that beautiful picture of him in Providence, sovereignly ruling over all of our circumstances. And that's a, it's a rock solid anchor that we can hope in. Even when we are being flooded, when we are being crashed over by the waves of a, powerful sea that we can't control.
0: Yeah. I really love even that correlation of going to God in our suffering, voicing how we're feeling to be reminded of his truth and of the gospel and the connection to if we are doing that in community with others. Are we also voicing our frustrations to how we are feeling in the moment around people who can remind us of Jesus remind us of what is true. And that's not to say that it's that simple. It's not to say, oh, you're suffering. God has a plan for you. Here's a verse. See you later. Bye. But no, there is something to, when we suffer, we suffer together. And the temptation is to isolate, but God calls us to walk in the light, which means we're talking about it openly with God. And we're talking about it openly with people who love Jesus. I mean, that is something that uh you model really really well is that you are very transparent with the pastoral team as far as uh how you are doing and i'm really thankful for just that constant reminder and uh your presence in my life of when i do suffer here's what i don't do i actually ought to model it and be open and honest the way the way john is so thanks man yeah i appreciate that you're going to make me cry on the podcast nobody can see it uh huh but I'll just narrate to
1: everyone. Eyes. Just wet eyes at this point. Nothing. Nothing's coming down the cheeks, so that's good. <laughs> I'll
0: keep you all posted. in <laughs> podcast lead. <later. laughs>
1: you. Uh, you just hit this in there as well. I think a good note to anyone who's listening, and right now is not your season of suffering, but there's someone in your life who is. Um, man, it's such a good reminder. You know, to come alongside them the way that you would want someone to come alongside of you mm-hmm. to love your neighbor the way that you would want to be loved, especially for uh, my big Bible folks out there who, man, we love you. I'm, I'm a Bible guy. I love the word. And sometimes what you can do when someone's suffering is they say something that is wrong. They say something that is inaccurate. They say something that is so emotional and so full of pain and you're going, Hey, wait, wait, wait a second. That's not right. Yeah. And you just got to be careful that, uh, it's better that they say it out loud and they might not need the correction right now. So there's a way to come alongside in patience and to just say, you know, to to be there, to be the reminder of, I'm going to know that God is good and that all the truth of the scripture is real. And I'm going to be that anchor for you right now. But I don't know, like if if you're weeping, it may or may not be the best time to correct your theology in this moment. Sometimes in obeying, I think it's Psalm 64. Pour out your hearts before God, oh, you people. There's all kinds of trash in my heart, and I got to get it out. It's better to get it out. So, for my big Bible people out there, sometimes it's better to say, Hey, thank you for telling me that and just letting me be here in this moment. And, you know, just remind them of simple truths that aren't as confrontational. Just remind them of, Hey, Just so you know, God sees and he hears and he knows everything you're going through right now. And don't necessarily try to wade into the more nuanced nitpicky. When you said this, that was a little bit off. And it's like, well, yeah, that might need to come later, but maybe now's not the right time.
0: Yeah, exactly. Part of us being church family together, we're invested with each other for the long haul. So that's right. There's time. We'll get to that later. Right now sometimes the best thing to love our fellow brothers and sisters is just to cry alongside them.
1: That's it. Mourn with those who mourn.
0: Yeah. Anything else, John?
1: Yeah. So another thing from the text that I didn't have time to get into, but, um, and I, you know, I ended up summarizing so much of this, but there are two pictures in Exodus one and Exodus two of civil disobedience, uh, really three. Um, but two that I want to emphasize that are just really beautiful. And so in Exodus one, when Pharaoh first decrees, uh, that Israelite baby boys should start getting killed first, he tells that to the Hebrew midwives. So the Israelite, you know, OBGYNs of their day, so to speak, the, the, the ladies who are helping in the birthing process, he tells them when, if it's a boy kill it and they don't do it. Because, you know, they know God and they know his word and uh, they're like, we're not doing that. Uh, but I mean, this is the Pharaoh. This is the king. This is the highest authority in the land. This is not an elected official. This is a rules by divine right, makes the law just by saying it one time kind of guy. Yeah. And he tells them directly to do this. And they're like, no, nah, we're not doing that. And so then he comes back to him. He's mad because it's not happening. And they're so uh, just courageous and there's some spunk and spirit and feistiness when their answer to him is the Hebrew women are stronger than the Egyptian women and they birth the babies too quick. They birth them before we can get there. We can't do
0: anything about it. The Bible's very funny. (laughs) We have to forget that. That's
1: such an incredible, savage answer to the king, the Pharaoh, the highest authority in the land. Uh, I just love it. I love that picture. And, you know, it is a funny time. You know, we were talking about this a little bit before the podcast. There are some weird ideas right now about civil disobedience and, you know, should churches gather and not wear masks for civil disobedience? And it's like, no, for love of your neighbor, you should wear a mask and not do anything that potentially causes physical death to happen before you have the chance to share the gospel with someone. Right. Let's just keep those things lined up always. But there are absolutely sometimes when God, in some places where God's people are called to civil disobedience because God's law is higher than the law of the land. And we don't know. I'm not a a prophet in the sense that I know the future. I do not know what is coming in American culture. Uh, It is not hard for me to imagine that there could be things and times when our culture tells the church and tells Christians to do things that we just will not do. and I think not gathering huge, large groups is not one of those examples. You know, I think yeah. Christians should be flexible enough to be happy gathering in small groups and or digitally and or, you know, we should learn from the underground church and the house church movements around the world uh, when it comes to that. But there is just, you know, so, so that's the first example is the Hebrew midwives in Exodus one, really the second and third example both happen in Exodus two, where you've got Moses's mom hiding him. So that's civil disobedience, you know, but very understandable civil disobedience because it's her son and she's not just going to let him die. Um, but the other one is, is Pharaoh's daughter, you know, this this princess of Egypt who doesn't obey her dad's rule to kill Moses when she finds him in the river. Instead, she adopts him. She has compassion on him. Uh, it's even a weird little detail. She gives him a Hebrew name. So the the name Moses uh scholars think it it comes from a Hebrew word moshe which is to draw out. Um she draws him out of the water and so she gives him a Hebrew name which is kind of an act of kindness. She didn't have to do that. She could have given him an an Egyptian name, you know. Um but she's aware he's a Hebrew and she's even in his naming, she's pointing out to everyone, this is the Hebrew baby I adopted, the Hebrew baby boy. And so, you know, I I mentioned this in the sermon real quickly, but I think Pharaoh hated Moses his whole life. I mean, it's it's a Moses's presence in the Pharaoh's courts is a constant reminder to that one time that his daughter did not obey his ungodly and evil, wicked rule. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating a little, but I, I bet he hated him. I bet he hated that whole situation. But what a beautiful picture from the princess of Egypt, not part of God's people, not necessarily aware of the covenants or or knowledgeable about God outside of maybe you know, her neighbors, her Israelite neighbors there who she we don't know what she knew or what she didn't, but her compassion is godly, no matter how much she she knew God. Um, her compassion, her her civil disobedience is beautiful and it's godly and it's in line with kingdom values. Um, so I just I, I love celebrating. I, there's so many really cool female characters in this story that once again, like I said, when I grew up in church, they did not get the airtime they should have gotten. But these they're awesome. They're they're courageous and strong and Uh, stand up for the right things and they're not petty and they're not pearl clutching. They're uh, doing what needs to be done in really beautiful ways.
0: Yeah. And there's something to this overarching thread that you see all throughout the Old Testament of here are God's people just royally messing up and yet God is faithful and he's going to continue sticking by them and eventually bring it to its apex through bringing about Jesus. But even in the midst of On a micro level, when you are reading the Old Testament, it just seems really insane. You have people blowing it, but you also have just insane extreme circumstances, which in that micro story, you just think, what the heck is happening? And yet you zoom out, you see God's faithfulness through it all. And that was really, I think, the driving point of your whole sermon is that imagine being Moses's mom. And you have no idea what to do. And you want to save your child. And to her, it's like, I'm, I'm praying to God that he deliver my son out of this. And then we see immediately God's faithfulness at work. And it's like, for us, we might not see the immediate effect right right out the gate or even in this lifetime. But we know just from looking at scripture of God, constantly being faithful, constantly caring and loving for his people.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's, you know, just another thing that I've preached that before, but I love that you're reminding, we, we do not always get the story that Moses's mom gets. Yeah. She puts the ba- her son, her, the baby in the river, she puts her son in the river, no idea what's coming. So you zoom in, it's utter chaos, utter panic, zoom out later that day, she gets to raise him. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. That's not how our pain always goes. All right. Sometimes our pain is, there's no redemption yeah. this side of eternity. Sometimes there's no redemption at all. That's awful. It hurts. Uh, And that doesn't change the point that even when there's no redemption, God is still in control. You know, and you just look at Hebrews 11 and you've got the hall of faith and half of the people, they got to see some kind of redemption, some kind of fruit, some kind of beautiful picture of God's faithfulness here on earth. The other half don't, you know, and you get that in the same sentence, some saw a thousand saved and some were sawn into it's yeah. just like, Whoa, uh-huh. faithfulness does not guarantee the outcomes that we want. And that's the point. The point is that God is still in control, whether or not we're getting the outcomes that we want. And so we, we get to be faithful in light of that. Yeah, that's great. John, anything else? So, you know, in just in the idea, I mentioned just a couple of these really quickly, but I just, these are some of my favorite stories from my life. So I just love to share them and uh, pictures of God's providence in my life. I I mentioned really quickly the house that we almost purchased and it ended up getting flooded in the great Columbia flood of 2015. Um, So that house was under contract. This was when we were adopting our kids. So we are trying to move school districts because we're about to have a kid one year away from middle school and we didn't want to have them move in with us and then move again in a year. So we're trying to move houses before they move in with us. And, uh, we had a house under contract that had renters who were planning to move out in 10 days when my, my insurance agent called me and said, John, you cannot buy this house. And I was like, what are you talking about? I have to buy this house. And she said, no, they, uh, there's, there's issues with the flood insurance. They didn't the the amount they reported to you was not the actual amount they're paying. And my underwriters are telling me that that could go up three to five times what it is currently. And I was like, that's going to be another mortgage. She said, I know. And I said, I can't buy this house. She said, that's what I'm telling you. You can't buy this house. And so we're just totally panicked. We, we got out of the contract on uh, that phone call was Thursday. We got out of the contract Friday. On Saturday, we went to look at more houses on Sunday. We put an offer on the house that we live in currently. And on Monday we had it finalized and it was the same situation. They had renters too. And those renters had to leave in like 10 days so that we Mm. could move in. But the renters there were the listing agent for the house. So they were really motivated to want to leave. And, uh, you know, a year, a little over a year later, the flood starts happening. And our current house kind of sits up on a hill where we could look down all around us and see the flooding of Gills Creek really going on. And that house that, you know, in retrospect, I now totally know God protected us from buying. It flooded up to the top of the second story windows. Wow. I just can't imagine how we would have lost everything. Like yeah. literally our whole family, I mean, there would have been insurance in place, but our family would have been out on the streets, couch hopping, you know, all seven of us. And just how much more chaos that would have been if God hadn't protected us from that. So that's one of my favorite pictures of God uh, providentially providing and protecting us from worse pain and worse chaos that could have been there. Uh, another, I'll just tell you one more. Um, that's another one of my favorites. When I was in college, I was not, my personality is, is not, when I think about the future, I dream, I don't really plan. I love to just think of crazy big, what if questions and not as much how do we get there and what are the specific steps? And that was even more so true in college. And I just really wasn't much of a future thinker in general. Um, but in one year, a couple things happened where I had this weird interaction with a family that they had a lot of kids and they were, uh, it was actually a guy who ran a wrecking service and my car had broken down and he was, he picked me up at 1am and his wife came with him and I was like, well, that's odd. And she was just like, yeah, we just love to spend time together. So if he goes on a midnight call, I'll go with him just to spend the time with him. And I was like, okay. And they were telling me about their, their kids and how they had a lot of kids. Cause they, they said, you know, in our house, nothing is mine. To our kids, everything is shared, and so we see our friends, and they don't have as many kids. And this is not like a, a judgment on people with small families. That's, that's not the point of this. But it just for me, it was like, man, I think maybe I want to have a big family. That that'd be mm. cool someday if that worked out. And so then a little bit later on, there's a there was a, a campus speaker at a campus ministry talking about James one twenty-seven and God's heart for the widow and the orphan. And in the weirdest way, I I, I don't have great words to describe it, but in that sermon, I just knew. God, you're talking to me right now. Like, you're telling me that someday I'm going to adopt kids. Like, this is, I don't know why, but through your word, through this guy's talking, like, your spirit's just kind of confirming, setting a desire in my heart that I want to adopt kids someday uh, to have this big adopted family. Um, and so, when Eric and I dated, I told her about that. I was like, hey, I want to have a big family. I want to adopt a lot of kids. If you're not on board with that, no worries. Like, we don't have to keep dating. I just, but I think that's something that God's like put in my future and in my heart. And, um, it turns out, once again, in retrospect, now having adopted our kids, my oldest daughter, Jenny, was in the womb when I heard that sermon. Mm, so wow. I'm hundreds of miles away from her. No idea that she exists. No idea who her mom is. Like, don't, I don't know anything. And as God is weaving in the womb, my oldest daughter, as he's creating her and making her, he is also preparing my heart to uh, 16 years later, adopter, 14 years later, adopter. I mean, I just, those kinds of things, you can call it coincidence. I'm gonna call it providence. I, uh, I just love to see God in those kind of details and just how beautiful it is. And so those are some of my favorite stories of God's providence in my life.
0: Yeah. I love that. So even as you're listening to this in the middle of the week, if you haven't had a life group yet, I think even a great time for sermon discussion is to recount the ways in which you've seen God's providence at work in your life. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. And I love that because you, it is something you can train your eyes to see. You can miss it. You can totally miss it, or you can write it off. You can justify it and minimize it as coincidence, but you can also train your eyes to see God's fingerprints, God's little, you know, pieces of evidence of where God's been at work and where he's been Weaving the whole narrative together, even when it feels chaotic and painful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So even during this season, I know right now, journaling is becoming really big in kind of like the larger culture because people are wanting to record this moment. Hey, remember when the pandemic shut the entire world down, but even as followers of Jesus to use this time to recount the ways in which you've seen God at work in your heart, in your family, in your life group. Write that down, put that in a journal so that you can go back to how you've seen God's faithfulness on days yeah. when it just seems really hard. That's good. That's the whole Ebenezer concept that uh, putting
1: up an altar, getting some kind of a rock that won't change as fa- fast as we do, putting up a reminder of yeah. God's faithfulness. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much, John. Thanks for having me. And um, I'm just so thankful for our church family um, for getting to be a part, for getting to lead out and model and, uh, our church family overall to be a safe place for me to share something vulnerable like that. Um, knowing that most of what I'm going to get is so much support and so much encouragement. And, um, it's an honor and a privilege to shepherd, uh, the people in in the makeup our church. And so it's hard, but it's good.
0: Absolutely.